The sponsor for this episode is Whoop. If you haven't heard of Whoop, it is a fitness tracker that provides personalized daily insight into recovery, strain, and sleep. Uh, And this has provided some really cool, actionable data. I've been using it personally. There's a ton of PGA Tour players that are using it. You've probably seen Justin Thomas, Roy McIlroy, and others wearing it. Um, And here's kind of what I take away the most is, is number one, sleep and recovery. So every morning, you can uh, look at your phone, go into the app, look at the data, and it'll tell you kind of how your recovery was. Are you ready to take on a lot of strain that day? Should you relax a little bit more and make take really better actions based on how your body is doing? And then strain, this will let you know of how hard is your body actually working. Is that workout that you're doing, is there enough strain? Is there not enough? And look at all those different things. Um, In the golf context, uh, just the other day, really interesting, I found that playing nine holes walking was the same amount of strain as playing 18 holes riding in a cart. There's so many good things from Whoop. You should check it out. We got 15% off your Whoop membership, code GSL, 15% off GSL. Head over to whoop.com and check that out. Definitely recommend picking one up. We're on a mission to help golfers from all over the world achieve their goals by understanding what it actually takes to play their best golf. We're talking with leading instructors, researchers, and players themselves to find what is actually working. Hey, thanks for joining us today. You are listening to one of our partner shows. It is the Tour Coach Podcast with Tony Ruggiero. He has some phenomenal guests on talking about teaching tour pros. He'll have his players on. Just always a great show. Today was another great episode. I want to share that with you here on the Golf Science Lab Podcast. Let's get into it. All right, so welcome into the Tour Coach. Sitting here outside of Brogan's on St. Simon's Island. Thrilled to have sit with Kevin Kirk. Kevin, I've been wanting to have you on for a long time. We see each other all the time at tour events. One of the great teachers out there. Thanks for sitting in with me. Thanks so much. And we have been talking about this for a long time. Yep. And we finally kind of got a little home game for you this week somewhat. So it's uh, nice to kind of be able to sit in a nice kind of quiet place. and yep. uh, sit just, a little, little bit by the road, but yeah. but it's but it's quieter than inside Brogan. Yeah, so, but, and I like to do most of these with a glass of wine. So you've been out there teaching a long time. Doesn't make you old. Just That's makes correct. you experienced, yeah. right? That's right. That's right. Um, and this is as much for me. Tell me your journey in teaching, how you got to where you are now. I think it's fascinating hearing teachers talk about where they, you know, where they started, how they got there, and let's talk about some of the things you've learned along the way being out there on tour. Well, I mean, I I, I came into teaching as a failed player, like a lot of people. I I'd, uh, was a good junior, good amateur, college all American, and, and had all the earmarkings of somebody who would could have some success playing golf for a living, and and uh, I. I tried my hand at it and, and, and you know pushed it down the track for five or six about six years and for whatever reason I just couldn't get myself organized to be able to play well enough to be able to, to justify staying out there so I didn't really have a B plan at that point in time I had graduated from college had a degree but so I took a little time off just to try to reflect and figure out what was next I, I, I took a year off and I worked in the oil field and did a bunch of stuff traveled around the world and roughnecked and damn but just did, took some time away from the game to try to give us some space and try to figure out what was going on and, and after a year of roughnecking I decided that you know the golf wasn't as bad as I thought it was <laughs> so I jumped back in and, and uh, I thought I'd try my hand at coaching and I, I really I, I, I started at a little public golf course just outside of Houston 
in the area I grew up in. I just the very first day I went out there and fell in love with it. And so I've been doing it for 30 years, and uh, I've I've got to see some pretty amazing things, you know, along the way. I, I kind of fancy myself as kind of like a, a little bit of a Forrest Gump. I just kind of stumble along, and, I, and all of a sudden I wake up in these incredible moments and get to meet incredible people like you and, and see things that I, I probably shouldn't be able to see. But I think one of the cool things about what we get to do is the people that you meet and the people that you become friends with. You know, Coop, who's sitting here, like, you know, the, the caddies and the players and the teachers and... You know, you travel so much together, it's it's fun, you know, and they become like, you know, your, your family away from home. I mean, in, in many respects, we spend more time. I probably spend more time with Coop in a lot of respects than I do Yvonne, right? <laughs> you, um, you know, and so I totally, totally get that. And, and But I've admired your coaching and your teaching for a while. You've, you've had, obviously, tremendous success, obviously, with Patrick. And, I mean, just the list goes on and on. But you said something interesting in there. You said you couldn't get yourself organized. Enough. Correct, yeah. Okay, and that was a cool word to me because I think one of the things that separates, like we see, Coop and I were talking about a player on the way over here. We'll leave his name out. We were talking about another player, though. But, like, I think there's lots of folks out there with talent that don't ever organize themselves to maximize that talent to be able to play the tour. And then there's guys, we were talking in the teacher bay the other day, and you brought up like Jim Furyk. Yeah. If you watch Jim Furyk swing, or he was sitting here, he certainly wouldn't appear to be the most gifted or talented individual, right? But he's one of the great players of our generation. Yeah, I think, you know, Jim Furyk to me is just a, one of the very best players of his era. Right. And, and, you know, not picking on Jim, but nothing about that looks like golf to anybody, you know? Yet he's... Not what we teach. No. And, but yet there... The things that are required to play good golf, he's a master of. And, and I, re- I respect him. I mean, you know, his ability to kind of play the game is just it's unbelievable, really. So, mm-hmm. um, so, I mean, that's really, you know, being around him and actually watching him at the, at the Ryder Cup in 2014 changed the way I thought about things. You know, really? watching him, he was, in a, he was in a pod with Patrick, Jordan Spieth, and Matt Kuchar. And they were kind of playing the, the different formats and four balls. And, and the young kids were playing the old guys. And Jim Furyk, over the course of a couple of days, beat both those kids out of a couple grand. And he did it because he was competent. Because he would, he would, you know, he would, when asked to hit a tee shot off the tee and put it in the fairway, he did it most of the time. And then when he was hit it on the green, it was usually on the green, usually pretty close to the hole. Correct side and, always. And if he missed the green, if he didn't chip it, and he tapped it in, and every putt he looked like looks like he's got a chance. I did. Was that Scotty McQuinkar? <clears throat> that he, you know, when he was yeah. young, coming up, Scotty B was, you know doing really well and that's the highway play yeah and so what you what you really learn from all that is it it's about competence i mean all these guys with these beautiful swings in at 30 40 yards by him every off every hole and he's just at the end of the day standing there with a can and they're all dropping money in right. so they're, so, <laughs> they're panting and yeah, exactly right so and he, he made a career out of that i mean he field dressed a lot of really good players because he was simply competent enough did what the game asked him to do, right? To be great at the game, the game tells you what it needs. Mm-hmm. It wants you to hit the ball in the fairway 70% of the time, and on the green 70% of the time. It wants you to get it up and down 70% of the time. It wants you to have 29 or less putts around. And if you can do that, you can you can, you can can beat anybody in the world. But if you can't do any of that, or you can't do one of those things, you're gone. So there's been lots of talk with Bryson, right? And we, you and I, I know Coop and I did last week at Augusta, a lot of talk that he was going to make Augusta irrelevant, right? Not pulling against him, but I also think, like, for me, it was cool to see that, you know, he's 
right? He, I think he tied Andy, right? Yeah, yeah. Do you think that that length is changing what the game demands of us to play well, or is it changing those aspects? Well, I think length is, you know, is is obviously an advantage. I mm-hmm. mean, if you can put it into the right spots. Mm-hmm. Exactly right. You still got to play golf. You still got to be able to put it in play. Coop, sit over here so we can hear you. Better. I think the one, the one thing I would be, you know, that I think that I that I get a little concerned about with with the, with all this. You know, the length is coming into the game. Is it makes some some of the golf courses could conceivably obs- be obsolete. So I think we we do have a, a, a some sort of responsibility to try to maybe try to manage that. Mm-hmm. But as far as it's just pure length, pure length doesn't isn't going to shoot a lower score. It, it gives you an opportunity maybe. To, right. But you still have to be able to you know manage your proximity, chip and putt well enough. Uh, you know, it was interesting at the at the U.S. Open. I don't. I, I didn't think that was going to work at the U.S. Open. <laughs> I mean, I, I he proved me wrong. Mm-hmm. But I think yeah. the thing that made the Rio Open different was the fairways were so fast and they were so narrow that everybody played out of the rough. And so he's playing now. I mean, out I, of the rough, but 30 yards exactly further. Exactly right. Slot out of the bag. Exactly right. But, it, but if, if the fairways would have been softer and more people would have got some of the shorter guys would have been able to keep the ball in the fairway. Then I think it's you know it's a different it's a different story. That's I, Coop, I told Kevin uh, yesterday we were talking about this that Lucas led the field or was first top three in ball oh, yeah. striking right through the first three days, and yet only hit a little over fifty percent of his fairways right. So like being a leading the field and being a great ball striker didn't necessarily help you like it would at a normal U.S. Open no, in my opinion. Number was locked. right. Yeah. yeah. Whereas a guy that hit where if the if it's a little fat if it's a little bit softer or a hair wider yeah. than the guy like him that's, you know, hitting it right down the middle and missing it by a foot is still in the fairway, then I think he's got a little bit yeah. of an advantage. So if I'm standing in line to be big to caddy, that guy's got one thing mastered and it's length. See, I don't want to go to a pit with that, you know? Yeah. There's places where these, that's going to be a challenge. Correct. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, every course is where you got to change it and try to figure it out. Yeah, so, I mean, and, and that's really the art of, of playing, you know, high-level competitive golf is you have to be able to just walk onto that golf course, figure out what is the golf course asking of me, and being able to adapt and adjust your game to be able to do what the course wants you to do. Not necessarily what you want to do. I mean, he stood up there and said, you know, this is par 67. Well, it didn't quite work out. I mean, he shot several of a par relative to that, you know, and I think that, and and I, I think I think Bryson I, I, I really like that kid I, I like him because he's lot, yeah. you know he's he's like a big puppy dog he's like he's, he's willing to take things on and try things I mean he's got a wonderful spirit about him a little giggle yeah, yeah and he's he's, he's yeah. just you know he, he kind of chuckles his way around and, right. and there's a lot to like about Bryson you know and and, and I and I applaud him for for trying to take on some things that are maybe a little bit outside the box I mean he's always been that way uh, I mean from the from the way he holds the putter to the way he swings a golf club it's all different. And so but this has said that he's got, he's looking at one aspect of the game. He's focusing on that. And right. And so so what happens is if you overemphasize one part of the game, and you don't tend to the rest of the garden. At some point in time, the, right. the, the garden's going to start growing some weeds. Right. And so you have right. to, So you guys as teachers would have to like real real that in. Yeah. yeah. You know, take that and master. So when a player comes to you, suppose I'm a you know a, suppose I'm a guy that hasn't been able to keep my tour card or just kind of bouncing around on the corn ferry where do you start with that player what's your process because i think all of us are a little different 
and I, I also want to say that yesterday, I loved it. You hung out with me while I taught Robbie Shelton. That was a and, blast. And it was fun. Thank you for letting right? me do that. It that was, was fun, cool. right? And I, I think it's cool to get other people's perspectives, <laughs> other other let another set of eyes look at it and bounce things off of. But so you kind of saw that. Obviously, I've taught Robbie since high school, and I told you we were working on. It, but you know, where do you start? Where do you start when you say, "Okay, I'm gonna assess this guy's tools." And I, I'm gonna figure out, like, because I always feel like if they've gotten to the corn fair and coop, I'd like your opinion on this. Like, I'm always like, if they've gotten to the corn fair, they've gotten to the tour, they probably have the tools. They're just not figuring out the right way to do the shit. Yeah, right. I agree. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I think so. That's that's what. Usually, my conversation with them starts about what is their intention. Okay. okay. So if their intention is to to be on the tour. It, those people will be on the tour, off the tour, on the tour, off the tour, on the tour, off the tour, and that—that's purgatory. That is no life for anybody. I mean, you've seen those guys go through that. That—that that, that will wear you out. Quick. Exactly right. So, I think the guys that I've been around that have seemed to have done well have the capacity to sit down and say, you know something? I think I have the capacity to be a top ten player in the world, a top twenty player in the world. Okay. That by simply making that statement, holding themselves accountable to that. Then you can start figuring out, okay, well, what does that mean benchmark-wise for tee shots, for proximity, for all the things that go with it, right? right? But, but but if you got somebody that's that, that says, well, I just want to be as good as I can be, I just don't think that's good enough. You have to be, you have to be better than you think you can be. You have to sit down and, and call you yourself do. Now up. Now you do, right? Yeah. The 2020s, you do. That's yeah. So so if you got a guy that says, okay, I, I want to be a top 25 player in the world or, or top 15 on the FedEx. You can sit down and benchmark that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so well, you know what required. That's exactly right. So this, this, we've got enough stats now to know that this—that's what this is, right? Are you good enough or not? What's what? What are you doing well? What needs work? And then organize a plan about that. And so I'm—I'm I'm more interested in kind of their intention, how they organize themselves around, you know, how their game is relative to their benchmarks, and then try to do the least invasive thing possible to help them close the gap. So least invasive—that's beautiful. And once you've corralled them. And- do you do you plan their like how they go about it? How you know what they work on? That's I try I try to help them understand how do to, how to do what it is they're trying to do. Right. So for example, if they're if they're um, let's say that their driving is not good enough. All right. Let's start with the idea. Do you know what you're doing? All right. Let's say they want more. They need to want more accuracy. Yeah. Not just yeah. So accurate. so we can say okay. Well, do you understand why you're not accurate? Okay. Because it may be that I, I know either, you know, that the confidence scale. Aim. Exactly right. Aim. Exactly right. <laughs> well, well, you know, it's, it's confidence, right? Oh, they're, yeah. you know, unconsciously incompetent, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. They're consciously incompetent. Mm-hmm. They're unconsciously competent. Or they're consciously competent. Right? So, so it, it, it's, 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 it's taking them through that thing. Do I not want to know what I'm doing? I have no idea why I'm driving the ball out of play. Right. Or I know what I'm doing, but I just can't seem to get it done. Right. Or is it? I, I'm not sure what the benchmark is. Right there, you got to got to get them to, to be able to, to to get to the right question. And once they get to the right question, it's pretty simple, right? Well, I don't know what I'm doing. Okay, well let's let's talk about that. Or I know what I'm doing. I can't do it. Well, let's talk about why. Right. Right. Or I don't. I had no idea that I had to be that good. I thought I could just bash it down there, and that was good enough. Right. And I think that that's where, in our day and time, I didn't know this got a lot of these players, young players coming up, is because to me. College coaches focus on how hard they hit it, and their their college coaches to me are so infatuated with distance, yep. and overlook a lot of kids that can play their ass off. That's been my experience. 
I played college golf, and I, I've, also, I've also coached a lot of kids in the college golf system. And, I, and I'm going to tell you, I'm not a big fan of college golf. I know I'm going to take on the chin for that. That's okay. I think a lot of them suck. But but but, <laughs> and, I'll, and I'll tell you I mean, why. It's a competition-based model. It's not about development. So they're not actually they don't actually continue to develop the kids. They go out. It's a and it stops and it's competing. So so the idea is that you know they go out and they they recruit the, the best talent they can find. They get them on the team. They get them in the pen. Let them compete. And they go out and try to compete to mm-hmm. recruit the next group of kids, mm-hmm. right? So there's not much development that happens. There's a few really good developmental coaches. Very few. But if you start looking at the institutes around the, uh, around the world, in England, let's say Australia, and some of these places around the world where you see these kids coming out that are like really, really well prepared, you know, they, they, they do continue that development. So if you take a kid in the U.S. that, that at 18 years old has had some, a good developmental program, right. he's been mm-hmm. working under Tony, let's mm-hmm. say, heads off to college and gets in a college program where he can't see Tony, and all he's doing now is, is, is fighting, scratching, trying to keep up with the gym program and schoolwork and trying to kind of, right. you know, get out, get out there and, and keep his spot on the team. Usually what happens, you get a couple of pretty good years out of them, but after a couple of years, that development starts off, they start on, the, on a downward slide. So most of the time, the kids... Well, then other people start trying to fix them. Oh, my gosh. Right? Exactly and then right. they've got... And then you, you take a kid who most of the time, these young players, have had one voice. Yeah. Correct. Right? And then they get there... And I found that a lot of college coaches want to be us. Mm-hmm. I'm probably going to take it on the chin for saying that, but right. Um, listen, but, I, I understand the system that they work in requires that they operate a certain way. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really the system's fault. It's not mm-hmm. it's not the coach's fault. They're they're doing what they're, what they're trying to do to kind of optimize their their best chances to kind of to win. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it's not. It doesn't really do a lot for, for developing players. And so, in these countries around the world, where you where you do have a they, get, they, they take those kids from 18 and they focus on developing all the way out to 24. It, in okay. this country, unless they can kind of stay pretty close to Tony, let's say one of Tony's right. kids where he can kind of get to him frequently enough to kind of get some some, mm-hmm. some feedback, he's going to get a couple pretty good years out of himself. And by the time he gets to a junior, he's going to start on a downward slide and he's going to be able to stop. stop. Exactly right. So a lot of our best talent falls victim to trying to operate in that system. And I think that's a lot of those kids that people sit around tables like this at a bar yeah. and they go, well, you remember that you? so-and-so kid, man, that kid, when he went to college, man, that kid that kid go? kicked yes. everybody's ass. So you see now, a, lot, a lot of really good freshmen, sophomores in college, you know, college golf, oh, yes. but you don't see a lot of good juniors and seniors. And I, that is shit, they should be getting better every year. I remember telling, I think it was Robbie <laughs> Shelton, you know, he left after his junior year, didn't play great his sophomore year, played awesome his freshman year. I remember telling him once the conversation came up, I said, <laughs> my old buddy Wayne Flint, great teacher in Birmingham said I mean you go to if you go to college in any other profession you go there to learn what you need to learn to go into the world to make enough money to provide for you your family and eventually retire Correct. well so so if you go as a golfer and after a year of playing at that level you've learned what you need to learn you're ready to go and, and I would say I mean if you're a really good player college golf slows you down I mean, mm-hmm. you think Rory McIlroy would have done okay in college? You think that? I mean, I, that would have crippled him, right? Correct. Gotten under a coach, and the coach tells him, "Okay, you can't well, go to this tournament." Didn't you say something that you said got you in trouble. You did too. Yeah. I'm gonna say something that got you in trouble. I know somebody that was a great player. Yeah. That had somebody tell them they couldn't use their woods because he hit it real far. 
you know what I mean? To, just to yeah. prove your right. point. Yeah. Yeah. Just to prove your point. You know, now I'm not saying that all, I'm not saying that all the college coaches are bad, but no, I'm just saying no, the no. system is set is set up. It's it's a competition based model. Not to make those kids better. It's a talent ID. It's about talent ID and competition. It's not about development. Mm-hmm. And those are two very very different pathways. Okay, right. the developmental pathway continues to kind of nurture those kids along. And make There's sure some that they great can, coaches. Out oh there. my gosh, there. I mean, some real unbelievable coaches. You know, but. But I, I think that the system is actually set up, doesn't really gear itself for the, the developmental support that these athletes need. And I think, you know, if you go back and look in, in 1982, we go back in time, let's say 84, 80%, 80 or 90%, let's say 80% of the players on the PGA Tour were from the U.S., right? Mm-hmm. 20 years later in 2004, it was about 50-50. Right. Right. Now it wasn't because everybody says, "Oh, it's a, become a more global game." No, no, we got out coached. We put all of our kids in this in this in this trough where it's like dog eat dog. Right. And you got countries around the world that are actually taking those eighteen to twenty four year olds and continue to make them better. So I think that our step forward in, in coaching in this country is not thinking about a junior up to eighteen years old. Right. In the Olympics, in Olympic sports, they consider junior. You can be a junior Olympian until you're twenty through your twenty third year. Okay. You turn 24, you're no longer a junior Olympian, right? Mm-hmm. And the reason that is because you're, all your systems don't fully physically develop until you're 24 years old. Okay. So they're, so they're not going to compare anybody junior versus senior until all the systems are developed. That's sports science. Now, we cannot like that, but that's the reality. That's the way it is. So in this country, we, at 18 years old, we ship them off to college and their development stops, right? So we're missing that six-year window of development that the, these, these coaches overseas are using, right? And that's why we're getting our hat handed to us in the Ryder Cup. That's why the President's Cup is soon going to be out of our grasp if we're not careful. And if we don't take some sort of corrective action, action in this country, we're going to be we're going to be on the backside of it. I think that I watch, but I think there's some wonderful, wonderful coaches out there in our country. You know a bunch of them. Obviously you. There's some folks I think of. But I do. I think then the kids get out of that program, and I think that they, you know, I think they lose that. I, was, I had a great conversation the other day. It was at Augusta with Boyd Summerhays, yeah. right? And Boyd's son, unbelievable player. Better keep him right there in right? Phoenix, all and, I can tell you. Right, and that's what he did, yeah. right? He was like, hey, man, like, you know, he's like, hey. And, and I always said, I always, I, I told him, I was like, it always amazed me. That, like you go recruit a kid because he's an unbelievable player. So why would you change the team around him <laughs> yeah. and not keep that development going when they when yeah. they got there? I don't so, think coaches do a, being co- college. Right. Coaches do a good enough job pounding their head how much it's not going to be a cakewalk. Yeah. This is a job you have to work out. Your days are full if you're right. playing or not. Well, I think I think in college they keep them busy. I mean, they're up in the morning, they're in the gym, they've got schoolwork. They, as soon as they get through, they're out, you know, practicing. They got study hall at night. They, there's no free time for, no for a student time. athlete. No. But the problem is, is that unfortunately, the, all that energy and time is not necessarily directed towards development. It's just direct, it's just them trying to kind of stay in this in this keep meat up, grinder, you know, keep to, up to, to meet the right. pace and not get behind. You also start looking at the accumulation of all that work over time on your nervous system, and all of a sudden you're going to, you're going to find yourself in a neural deficit, and you're going to have some problems in terms of being able to get anything out. Okay, you, you burn their brains out, and you have a lot of kids walk away from college golf at the end of their career. Hate it. Just, they just can't stand it because, you, because they've been overcooked. Right? So when you guys get a student that you teach for a long time, it's, you know, it's a special thing because you've got you know, not only 
do you see and know what they do? You can basically feel it. Yeah, I mean, once you get to a certain place with a, in, a, in a relationship with another person, you can actually, you can sense, I mean, you don't even need to talk to them, really. I mean, you, you know exactly know what they're... You just know their tendencies. Exactly right. So, I mean, I'm guessing with, you know, Tony and Lucas, I mean, he walks around the golf course, I mean, he looks three fairways over, he knows exactly what's going on. Oh, yeah. Exactly. I mean, it's, I'm not paying attention a lot of the time. <laughs> you know we that. know that, it, but, you know, <laughs> let's say by luck or chance that you are looking... <laughs> That is not accurate either because he's out there all the time. Right. I see him. So. Yeah, I'm kidding. But you know, just by his body, you know, his reactions, how you know, it's good or bad. Another thing I think that you know, we're talking being out there on the golf course, but I think one thing that is a negative about us always being out there is that players want an answer for every shot, right? A bad shot. And we, we had that today one time. Look at kind of looks he looks what was that and i just what didn't answer there? right what i just there? i just went and mm, walked right because there's a lot of it, sometimes a lot of things that happened yeah i mean like i just don't know that we need you need to know every shot well i i think that you know golf is an individual sport and i think the very very best in the world at some point in time become self-reliant they, mm-hmm. they 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 know what enough about what they're doing that they don't need a lot of feedback tiger woods being a great example yeah, right tiger right. woods have a coach Right, because he knows what he needs to know. He doesn't need anybody to. He knows him. right exactly here right. with his eyes. So, so I think the goal in coaching <laughs> is to coach yourself out of the job, to the point That's where right. you, where you, where that athlete knows enough about themselves when they see something, they understand it, and they can correct themselves. I mean, that that would be the best case scenario. And, and I think, especially as they get to be veterans, and I'll use Lucas as an example. Do are there times and sessions where I think that I do a good bit? and coach and teach yes but i also think he's pretty self-reliant he knows the couple things he needs to do right and 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 they like i think they like having a set of eyes that confirms what they feel or think but like when they get to be 35 40 years old and they've made it on tour and they've won and they've won majors i mean i don't know that many of us are jumping in and changing a bunch and i think there's a bunch of folks out there that like to tell you they do but i don't think they really do that shit I, I think there's there's a high risk of changing somebody that's that's had success to kind of doing something. I think you can try to improve upon it. I think you can help help them become a better version of themselves. But it, the, the the success rate of people that have tried to kind of change styles or change techniques, you know, after about 22 or 23 years old, you just don't see a lot of success. Rate. You see it's grooved in because it becomes you know they they already know how to how to do things so it's just helping them to learn how to do that better right it's trying to getting to where you can cover your benchmarks right can you drive in the fairway enough can you get it close enough to the hole can you get up and down enough can you putt well enough right Mm -hmm. using your technique right using your what you do exactly right so how has your in the years you've been doing this and especially the years out on tour if it has how has your thought process what you kind of you know, I don't want to say believe in, but the things that you know, the things that you like or you look, how have they changed? If they've changed at all, you know, I, I came. I was a, I was a really technical player by, in, during my time period. I, I, I sought out instruction, and I had some of the brightest minds in the game that I had access to. So, my knowledge, my golf IQ was high. Okay. So Who all did you take lessons from? I, I mean, Bob Toski is my primary coach. I went to see Mike Adams. I went to see anybody that would that, that would take see my you. money. Right. Exactly right. But it was always just it, it was always me trying to kind of go to, to 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 find out more about to try to develop that better understanding. And so when I started coaching, I and I 
I was super curious. I went and talked. I mean, I went to all the, every seminar at that point in time. The, the, the education system in PGA was pretty good. I thought we would, yeah. you know, we had, a, we had access. You had access to the Butch Harmons of the world and the, you know, the you know, the, the, the top teachers and could listen to kind of how they approach things. Uh, I went and watched other teachers teach for a long period of time. But so I, I accumulated a pretty golf good golf IQ, and I, I developed a set of, of things that I liked. Okay. And so when when person would kind of come see me, I would look at their golf game, listen to them talk about it, and then try to justify in my mind why my set of principles was going to lead them to, to success. Okay. What were your principles? I, I mean, I was way down the road in terms of kind of the, the physics, you know, the, making sure the physics of it was, okay. was good, the geometry was good. So, I mean, real neutral-based stuff. I would probably be something like Jim McLean stuff. I mean, just yeah. real neutral path, really good body motion, good time. You know, was, mm-hmm. That was, I mean... Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. You know? I was influenced by Ledbetter's thinking in terms of the, his early stuff, you know, right. kind of the, the golf swing stuff when he's, when he's working with, with uh, kind of adds a father yeah. too. So, and then the golfing machine stuff. I mean, it was all, it was, it was, it was a culmination of all that plus my, my experience as a player trying to kind of work through all that. So I, I developed some things that, that I was pretty convinced were going to work just fine. And I, and I saw, I had enough <laughs> positive experience coaching other players into those, into that model. That I that it would justify me con- continuing down that pathway. I, I got to see Toski teach. He's brilliant. I right? worked for uh, three years. I caddied for Patrick Murray. Yeah, so he, yeah, he's down there all the time, right? Yeah, and I, I like what he was magic, right? So then, so when I started stop when I stopped playing, I had about four or five of my buddies that were still on tour. And they were like, well, you, you can coach me. I mean, it was like the, the blind leading the board. You already had your own ideas. Yeah, so I I, I, I thought it out. I mean, I, I was looking after the, the very first year that I started teaching, you know, we had Greg Triggs, Brian Clare, Craig Canada. I mean, all that whole group of kids, right? So they're, they're like, you can help me. And I'm like, well, shit, I don't know what I'm doing, right? You didn't tell them that. Exactly right. <laughs> You know, but, that's a business model. But what they did know is they know that I had st- done my homework and I would and I and I at least studied things well enough that I could I could I could possibly help them. You weren't gonna mess them up. I was not, exactly right. And because right. I Which was, I don't know that everybody nowadays can say. Well that. I also had that experience as a player and I knew how sensitive it was, mm-hmm. right? And, and how careful you have to be. And it wasn't really until I kind of got down a little further down the road. I ran into a statistician to help me understand really actually what golf, what actually move, you know, what actually moves the needle in golf. That experience I had, I told you about watching Jim Furyk well, change the way I saw it. Yeah, from right. just being good to being well, the, the problem I is I didn't even know what good was. So the thing that drove me out of golf is my perception of good was so high because I was a big practicer. I was in the gym. I was doing it all. My perception of good was so unrealistic that I'd beat myself up, and I finally, I finally had to stop. You were way better than you thought you were. Oh my God. But you wouldn't let yourself be good. No, because I. I right. So, for example, okay, to be a to be a world class player, you got to hit the ball in the fairway about seventy percent of the time, knock it on the green seventy percent of the time, get it up and down seventy percent of the time, fifty to sixty percent of the time out of the bunker, and take twenty nine putts. That's me, what world class yeah. golf is. Now, and to me, it sounds impossible. But well, you guys know it. Well, just, just well to give you some scale, right? To break eighty, it's only fifty percent of those things, right? Fifty percent of the fairways, fifty percent of the greens, fifty percent up and down. Right? That's goop. 40, He's grinding on it. 40 to 50 and 31 putts. Right. But I didn't know that. Now, here's a guy, good athlete, multi-sport athlete, that's me, big practicer, mm-hmm. with 350, you know, a couple of those big range buckets a day like we used to, right? Chip, pump my brains out, play golf, in the gym, doing it all. 
So my expectation was I should be able to do this at 90%. And so as long as I'm out there and I'm getting this 90%, I'm feeling okay. But the second that I, I start falling below that, I start feeling like there's something wrong. Right. Right? Well, 70% is all I needed. So my perception was, was skewed to the point where it, it drove me crazy. The game drove me crazy. I've never All right. So, so you see that a lot of the really hard workers, they, they, that's, that's the path they end up on. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so once I kind of... We know one. Yeah. I know one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We all know one, right? So, right. So I think, you know, the, the thing that, that was the thing that kind of, for me, once I started kind of looking, okay, what is actually good? Well, good is 70% of the time, 5% variance right to left. Okay, that's that's the tour, that's the tour window, the tour cone that they play into, right? So they hit 10 shots from any distance inside 5% of the distance, seven out of 10 times in competition, you are good enough, okay? So so the problem is, is the second they miss one out of the middle of the face, it's not right on the top of the face, it's like, what's wrong? Right. That's good. Stop, stop whining. Yeah, you know, that's way inside the cone. So once I understood what good was, right, and the second thing of, you know, the, the intention I talked about earlier, making sure they were super intentional about what they were trying to do, you know, and, and the last thing was just starting to kind of look at confidence and not style. Once I got those three things on board, I became a much better coach. I That's could really phenomenal. help you. So it's not, it wasn't so much about style and what I liked. I still have things I like. I love watching Adam Scott swing a golf club. Who doesn't, right? I mean, everything about that looks right to me, mm-hmm. right? Now, that's right. So, but, when I, but if Jim Furyk comes in my office, am I going to stuff him in that box? No. Now, five years ago, I would have, and I would have ruined it, for sure. Okay. But if if you start, take a step back and say, okay, how good is good? All right, seven, you know, five percent of the distance, seventy percent of the time. You know what? You know what's what's the intention of the player? Jim Furyk obviously wanted to be really super good. And then, you know, the last part is, you know, you know, do I? You know, helping them just kind of move down that track and, and try to do the least invasive thing I can I can do to help them get get to where they want to go. It makes it much larger of a window. You know, I agree. Explains it. That's why I yeah, think. That's why larger. I think you're great, and that's what I think is the Doable. mark of the great coaches. One uh, an interesting comment once we talked the other night about Billy Herman, right? Billy made the comment about Lucas once, and I said something, and he said. Well, I know you're doing a good job because I could watch. It was something to the effect of, I know you're doing a good job because I could watch him swing and I couldn't tell anybody changed anything. That's the gist That's of it, right? Yeah, exactly. Right? And whereas, you know, there's there's Instagram guys and social media, right? And there's guys out there and it looks like they're trying to put everybody into that same box. So Everybody's going to hit a push strong. So really what, really what we should be doing is trying to understand the person in front of us. Right. Okay? Understand how you go about your craft. Mm-hmm. Are you good right. enough, right, mm-hmm. based on these benchmarks and your intention, yeah. right? And then how do you how do you do that? As long as you can do it well enough and not going to hurt yourself, then you need to keep doing that, okay? I don't really care what it looks like. Right? And that's a thing that people don't understand. You guys teach is how do they go that fast and not hurt their body. Well, I mean, once you figure out how the body is designed to work, I mean, that's the other thing that I did. I actually took some time to actually actually study how the body moves and where you know how it likes to kind of move and exactly and, so, and that that kind of is really one of the things that if I do have somebody that's competent but are putting themselves at risk for injury I will stop them and yeah. at least have the conversation you know that's, you can, you can yeah, keep doing this but you're you're headed for an injury okay and and, and again along those sets like I tell people all the time 
one of the biggest influences on my teaching and biggest changes was about four or five, about five and a half years ago when I met Colby Tuye, right? Yeah. And, and he was Colby's only, brilliant, by the way. Right. K. Wayne. K. Wayne. Boom, boom. Um, cut it, you know, because it made, like I'd been around other trainers, but like I liked that he trained them like athletes. Yeah. I and I liked that he came to do a workout with them on the tee with me. Yeah. Right? Where he would be like, okay, so what are you trying to get him to do? Yeah. Let me go make those parts of the body able to do that better. Right? Yeah. And uh, I'll never forget the one time, like, he asked this kid, a good, good college player, what what have you been doing in the gym? Kids like, I've been doing all these squats. He goes, well, you trying to stand up in the golf suite? Yeah. Right? Trying to jump up and see Right? Yeah. Because this kid kept coming up at and the kid's like, no. And he's like, well, hell, you training you train yourself, yourself to do yeah. it, right? right? But I was like, well, hell, I've never heard anybody say that. And that's a, you know, a, an example. But like, yeah. but that was a big deal for me because I un- I started understanding how to help people, how their body affected it. Correct. And then because developing juniors to me is so fun and a big part of what I do is like, well, if you get these kids at 13, 14, and you can get them with the right type of program, you can make a dramatic improvement on what they're able to do. Usually, I mean, puberty is brutal on the human body. Okay, so I'm I mean, still they, going they, through it. They, well, they, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a lot of times you see these really young kind of yeah. little eight, nine, ten year old kids have these beautiful golf swings, and all of a sudden they grow, you know, eight or nine or ten inches right. a year, and they can't look like a llama. Exactly right. Look like they're falling out of a tree. Right. right? So I, I do think that you know, uh, taking. In the developmental process, it's also understanding how to manage that. How are you going to take a kid that right. who's, who's going through that, right, and, and, and try to kind of manage that. And so understanding anatomy and physiology, kind of these develop, the developmental sciences. The, the cool thing about golf is that golf finally is an Olympic sport. There's finally enough money that we have some really good sports scientists that are helping yep. us understand a little bit about, okay, what is good development look like, right? What is good movement, high-quality right. movement look like? So I, I love to watch movement. I'm a, I'm a movement freak. I, I, you know, I, I train my body to move well. I, I love to watch people that right. move well. It's a great. Motion. It is. It is. And so, I'll so, so uh, developing a, a really better understanding of that, I think, has also been, you know, something that's really helped me as a coach. That's awesome. That's awesome stuff. It's been fun. It's been fun having you on the island this week. You know, Tony, I, I would tell you that every time we get together, it's fun. Well, I appreciate yeah, that, yeah, and, yeah. and I and I enjoy. I just like picking people's brain, you know, and, and I've enjoyed, we've had the opportunity over the last couple of years to walk and watch some golf players paired together. I think Grant, Graham and Lucas were paired together at the sure U.S. Were. Open. Sure we walked were. a bunch yep. together. And uh, also out on the West Coast at PGA. Yeah, that's right. PGA. Yeah, that's right. Right. And uh, so, you know, it's always, I think that's part of the of what's cool that being out here. I yeah. think that we're all, I think all in general, all of us are pretty good trying to learn from each other and help. Yeah, you know? I, I think that's one of the things that I probably appreciate about this tribe of people is that everybody is, everybody wants, while it's a healthy competition, I do think that everybody wants everybody else to do good. I mean, when I saw Dustin Johnson win last week, I was so happy for him. I almost cried too watching 100%, him. 100%, exactly right? right? Was anybody you know, not exactly. happy? No. You know, I can't, I don't know anybody that wasn't happy for Claude. I mean, for exactly uh, right. for, for all and for, for, for everybody on that team, it's a and, hard and thing to do. DJ, right? Exactly and, right? And right. you've obviously been yep. I've been the bad one of major. Yep. Man, it's hard. It is right, it's and uh, yeah, so, you put a lot of work into it. Yeah, so yeah, that's right. they put it more forward than they. So, you know the 
the thing I think that we all probably have an appreciation for is how difficult it actually is. Mm-hmm. So when you see somebody pull it off, it's like, man, I'm happy for them. That's that's the coolest. That's just that amazing. Even thing the ones that know how to do it don't. It's, it's just well, it's just hard. Experience. It's brutal. It's hard thing to do. Scotty Hamilton said on this podcast once, and it, he goes, "I don't think people realize how much all of us like okay. and pull for each other." Oh my, it's amazing, right? right? Yeah, and 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 it's true. Anytime somebody plays really well, winning, play well, right? There's always five or six of you guys are the first one. We're all the first ones. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the first thing that happens your phone is one of your pal, one, some of your tribe right. hits you up, right? Right. That's right. And, and I also think that, you know, something something else that is really, is, you know, seems to be kind of really cool is that, that the first thing that happens when a guy after a guy wins a golf tournament, the next week on the, on the PGA Tour, what happens? Everybody walks up and gives them a pat on the back, mm-hmm. right? Every, I mean, and everybody. Because you know how much they deserve it. And whether if you DJ like it, was here this week, everybody be coming up hugging. Whether you like the guy or not, everybody walks by and says, "Hey, man, great job by week. I'm so happy." Winning your respect on this tour is so hard. Exactly right. So, so you know, it's it's a hard game. You know, to to to, to win out here is difficult, and so, and I think we all, you know, That's it's why we do exactly right. You know, and, and so. And I, I also think that I said this to actually to Mark Blackburn. It's like there's so everybody's different. There's so many different people, different types of people playing this, and there's all different types of coaches. It's okay for us all to be different because, like, Bryson would couldn't work with me. I like Bryson, but like, I mean, he'd shoot me, yeah. right? I'm too simple and, and whatever, and I wouldn't understand a third of what he says, yeah. right? But like, it's okay for us all to be different. I think that's a good lesson for the world so in I, general. I, I think, I think, I think, <laughs> I think diversity makes us all better. Yes. Okay. And I can. The cool thing about it is we can all learn from everybody, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the time I spent with you yesterday, I picked up a couple of things. Like, okay, gosh, I haven't thought about that before, right? So, you know, listen I'll to Coop talk, okay? Yeah. Listen, listen to Coop talk, okay? A guy's got, you know, all the time he's got in saddle time he's got out here. Every yeah. time he opens his mouth, you know, there's going to be something that's going right. to fall out. This all better, that okay. saddle time and all that bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> I learn stuff every every turn. So so it, so the you know the, our life out here is is this this the environment is 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 really primed for learning. We share our learning every day. I've always you thought, know? and as we kind of wrap this up, like my my motto or my thought process has always been: if I was building a perfect instruction team, I would want people that are all great but really really different. Because if they were all thinking like me, shit, we'd all come to the same damn conclusion, right? right. right? And then, yeah. then there'd be a group of people we help. We just wouldn't help because I can't yeah. figure the shit no, out. Yeah, exactly right. Or you know, you end up with this, this situation like you end up with in business sometimes, where you have five people doing the same job, mm-hmm. right? So right, I but a lot of that doesn't exist out here. As we wrap it up, yeah. it doesn't yeah. exist <laughs> because you know out here, you know, because people will level it off. You sure. Know? Yeah, I mean, it's, you guys it's know enough. To level it up. <clears throat> but I and, and but I think it's healthy. I think the more people put their egos down and say, "Hey, Kevin, I've been working with Robbie since he's in high school. Here's what I'm working on. Do you see anything different? Right? Yeah, no, that like, was, that was that I'm was not worried bad. about Robbie going to see you. Right? No, like, you I know just, what I mean? That was a cool moment yesterday. Right? And I, I, and and I, I was there. Yeah. Believe it. And, and I and I really appreciate you know you you know feeling you know open enough to just say, "Hey, listen, jump in here. Let's 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 have a look yeah, at it." You know. I mean, so, you know, what, and what does that hurt? No, it's in, exactly right. Doesn't hurt, Kevin. Awesome. Thanks for coming to visit us on the island. I guarantee you, in 2021, we're going to teach a junior weekend, a retreat over here at Frederica. Appreciate you coming and hanging out with us, and 
And more than anything, I, I just enjoy the time. I enjoy us chit-chatting. Same thing with Coop. Coop, I mean, you're like you're like family. I mean, I you mean, know, we I mean enjoy it. And, Tony, uh, I love being around you. That, no. Kevin. It wasn't honor. Because was I was honest. trying to pick your brain the other yeah. day. Oh, I know, I know he was. I, I knew was where you were like, going with that. Tony, I said, all you need to do to get my attention, if you want to go sit and have a cup of coffee, you can ask me anything, and I'm an open book. So yeah. thank you. And I, I do want to kind of, before we wrap up, just thank Tony for all he does for us. I mean, he's he's out here kind of beating the drum, kind of, you know, making sure that, that you know, that the people out in the golf space that, Get a chance to kind of hear from some some of these people, so I, I was delighted to be here. And, and it's uh, fun. It's fun. I enjoy it. I mean, I'm passionate about what I do, love it, but I also like to have fun doing it, right? You know, I just couldn't it do it if we fun. didn't have fun because we have a good time, all of us together. But awesome, Kevin, you're the best. Thanks, boys. Kevin, all right, good. Baby. Boom. Thanks, good fellas. Boom.